Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial and podcast on your WWWs. It's great to have your company here in the new year. Yes, oh my goodness. We're in the 20s again. Yeah. Oh well, um, okay, I've still got some flap addresses in the cupboard so I'll, pu- <laughs> I'll pull those out later in the year. Um, yeah, you don't want to see that. You, you really don't. Oh no, well, uh, look... The 2020s are a time of change, um, but unfortunately we still have to be here. Um, who's we, by the way? Yeah, we are the dogs. We are the defenders of government schools. That's because they need defending, and um, there's a lot of people after their guts. There's a lot of people who want the government schools of Australia just to disappear. There's a lot of people who want to make money out of education, and the government school system is standing in their way. They just want taxpayers' money straight to go into private pockets so they can run the education system and do what they like with it. The government system, however, has a couple of things with it going for it which are useful. Not just useful, but they're right. If you want to go to a government school, you just can. Nobody cares about the colour of your skin. Nobody cares about the sexuality of your auntie. Nobody will ask you questions about certain religious tenets of one form or another before allowing you to pass through their doors. No one's going to ask you if you're too tall or the wrong culture or too short or if you've got a disability because a government school takes all. A government school is a school for all the people who live in your area. And you know what? Just down the road there's another area and there's another government school and it takes all the people from there. So all the people, rich and poor, disabled or otherwise, differently abled or otherwise, all the people, it doesn't matter what their colour or their creed, can come to a government school and feel welcome. Whereas private institutions, or indeed religious institutions, which are run privately, um, are not that. So the government schools have one thing that the private schools do not. They're right. They are correct in what they assume should be the best way to educate the largest number of people. Um, Now, schools like that are under threat. Schools like the ones I'm talking about are under threat. They have been for decades and now in the 2020s even more so. And we are here to defend them, which is why, of course, we are the defenders of government school. Um, If you're you're a regular listener to our program, you will, of course, realise that we have a press release every year which goes up on our website at www.adogs.info. And Jean, one of the co-presenters here at the Dogs Program, spends a great deal of time and effort doing it. Now, to defend government schools, um, 
It's a very broad remit because they're being attacked by a lot of different people around the world, truth to tell. And one of the groups that's really interested in attacking government schools are those people who have a significant interest in proselytising their particular brand of, of religion, um, whatever that means. Um, but yeah, their, their, their belief and their faith has been organised into an organisation which has very significant financial interests in education. And every now and then they, they, they get into some really tricky spots because they try and do stuff that doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, I think Jean's about to tell us about something that's going on in the United States, in, indeed the Supreme Court, which is an interesting institution in the United States. Jean can tell us all about that in her press release number. What is it, Jean? 822. Yes, 822. And if you want to know what press release number 821 was, you can find out. Um, in fact, if you want to find out what press release number 528, oh, that was a brilliant one, that one, <laughs> 528, you can go on the website, www.adogs.info. But there's only one that's just been up there, and there's only one that you haven't heard on the dogs program yet, and that's the one you're about to hear, Jean. Yes, press release 822. The American Supreme Court, Freedom of Religion and Public Education. Espinoza versus the Montana Department of Revenue. Or Espinoza against the Montana Department of Revenue. The American First Amendment was adopted and adapted by the Australian Founding Fathers, in particular Andrew Inglis Clark and Henry Bournes Higgins, in Section 116 of the current Australian Constitution. This is the Freedom of Religion Clause, uh, which says in the beginning of it, uh, it has a number of clauses, that the state should not, uh, sorry, the Commonwealth uh, may not make any law for the establishment of any religion. There is also a clause which gives free exercise of religion and a clause which says that you cannot put religious tests on any office of the Commonwealth. Now, the history and the relationship between church and state and public education here in Australia and also in part in the United States has been outlined elsewhere on our website. So if you go to our website at www.adogs.info and you're interested in this issue, there's actually quite a lot of information there. To date, the American Supreme Court, unlike the Australian High Court, has resisted efforts by promoters of private religious schools to entangle religion with the state. Uh, the Australian High Court read Section 116 down and out of the Constitution in the Dogs case in 1981. When I say that they read it down and out, they made a nonsense of it. But you can find out more about that on the website. The Trump Supreme Court, however is now on trial in a seminal case on the issue. And this case, like many before it in the past years, is a voucher system case. A voucher system is where you give a voucher to a parent who can take their child to any school, including a religious school. So it's a form of state aid. It's in fact what we've got in Australia because if a child goes to a private school in Australia, they attract a considerable amount of taxpayer funds. So what is this Espinosa against the Montana Department of Revenue? It has recently been heard 
in the Montana Supreme Court. In December 2018, that court struck down a private school voucher program that used tax credits to divert public funds to private religious schools. This decision in Espinosa against Montana Department of Revenue protected both religious freedom and public education because taxpayers should not be forced to pay for religious education or private schools that can discriminate against students and families on the basis of religion. So the matter has gone to the American Supreme Court on appeal. So it's in the American Supreme Court and they are going to hear all arguments in this case on January the 22nd. In a friend of the court brief, that's an amicus curiae brief, filed on November the 15th by the Americans United for Separation of Church and State and 17 other religious freedom and civil rights organisations, these people, these groups, urge the United States Supreme Court to affirm the Montana Court's decision. Rachel Laser, who's the President and the CEO of Americans United for Separation of Church and State, which the dogs are very interested in, in a press release had this to say. The Montana Supreme Court protected America's guarantee of religious freedom when it struck down private school vouchers last year. Considering 94% of taxpayer-funded vouchers in the state-financed religious schools, the court's decision ensures that residents can't be forced to fund religious education. Furthermore, these private religious schools have free reign to discriminate against children and families if they don't share the school's religious beliefs, if a student's parents are LGBTI or if a child has a disability. Using public money to fund discrimination in the name of religion is a clear violation of church-state separation. And so the Americans United for Church-State Separation urged the Supreme Court of the United States to uphold the constitutional promise of religious freedom from Montanans and all Americans by affirming the lower court's decision. Now, this is a very interesting statement of what religious freedom really means. It actually means for uh, children to be free from discrimination on the grounds of religious belief or on any other grounds at all that are related to that religious belief. Yet here in Australia, we are confronted with a government that is bringing in a discrimination uh, legislation at the federal level which is going to enshrine religious discrimination for religious schools in legislation. Think about it. This is actually where we are at in Australia because our High Court misread and refused to listen to these arguments back in 1981. In the name of religious liberty, we are in fact introducing overt religious discrimination in Australia, which means that we are going back into the dark ages when it is okay to 
uh, be very disrespectful to other members of our community, our citizens, and even deprive children of basic things like an education on the grounds of religion. Now, the organisation in the United States, the Americans United for Separation of Church and State, um, explain that nearly 70% of all private schools in Montana teach a religious curriculum. And additionally, some Montana private schools discriminate against or refuse to admit students because they or their families don't adhere to the school's religious tenets such as rejecting same-sex relationships or accepting Jesus Christ as a personal saviour. Now, the following are brief details why the Montana Supreme Court reached the correct decision when it struck down the private school voucher programs, according to Americans United. And this is what they will be arguing in the Supreme Court. First of all, Montana demonstrated a long-standing interest in protecting religious freedom by ensuring that public money funds public schools, not private religious education. Secondly, the Montana Supreme Court's decision was consistent with the 2004 United States Supreme Court ruling in Locke against Davey, which upheld Washington State's decision not to provide government funding for religious education and training. And thirdly, the decision is also consistent with the United States Supreme Court's 2017 narrow ruling in Trinity Lutheran Church v. Coma. In this this particular case, the Supreme Court said that a Missouri church preschool was entitled to a state grant to resurface its playground, but the justice's decision permitted government funding only for a non-religious purpose. They did not establish a right to public funding for religious activities such as sectarian education. And this, of course, is a very um, a very worrying case, the Lutheran case. We have spoken about it on, uh, on this program uh, in the last uh, few years. Now, finally, because the Montana Supreme Court struck down the entire voucher program for both secular and religious private schools, there's no discrimination against religious schools in that ruling. Now, ever since Montana became a state in 1889, its constitution has protected residents' religious freedom by ensuring they are not forced to fund private religious education. And this protection, sometimes referred to as a no-aid clause, was so important to the state citizens that a similar provision was included in the new state constitution that was ratified in 1972. And about three-quarters of all the United States, particular states, have similar constitutional provisions. It's rather different here in Australia. Uh, They did try to bring Section 116 down to the state constitutions in a referendum in 1988, but the dogs were actually against that because they would bring down what has now virtually become a sword rather than a shield. Um, And the referendum failed. Uh, we've, We've spoken about that elsewhere, and the president at the time of the dogs had something to do with that. But... um, There is one state, that is Tasmania, that has uh, a religious liberty clause of sorts. But the problem is, of course, that if our High Court doesn't understand what religious liberty 
means. Uh, it means separation of church and state. And if um, our current governments don't understand what this means either, then we are in a very difficult position here in Australia. But Alex Lukanos, Lukanetsa, who's the Associate Legal Director in Americans United for Separation of Church and State, also has noticed, noted that Montana in particular has a long-standing, deeply held commitment to protecting citizens' religious freedom that goes right back to the state's inception. And he urges the United States Supreme Court to affirm that Montana and all states have the right to ensure that taxpayer dollars aren't used to fund religious education and that private schools do not have a constitutional right to demand government funding for religious instruction. Never before has the Supreme Court ruled that states must fund religious education. And that precedent must be maintained. So you've got 17 organisations. It's not just the Americans United for Separation of Church and State that are promoting this. Uh, There's 17. And uh, the uh, dogs are very interested in this, in this particular case and what is happening since the latest appointment by Mr Trump of the Supreme Court. And we will keep you uh informed of developments. But that's enough for now. Let's have a break and a bit of music.
Oh, isn't that nice? A bit of Thomas Tallis to see in the new year of 2020. Thank you, Jean, for your press release. Um, it, she was referring now to what's going on in the United States, but, of course, this is becoming extremely relevant in Australia with the new religious discrimination bill being put forward by the federal government. Um, I Together with, with uh, two major churches, they're very happy with it, but nobody else is. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a fascinating thing what's going on with that. Um, I've, read, I've read about it and I've read it, um, and it, it doesn't make any sense. I can't understand why they would pursue this in any sense. Because what it means is, and like, this is, this is not way beyond the bounds of stupidity. It means you can get a rabbi and a priest and an imam and a policeman, and you can put them all in the same room, and they can get talking, of course, and the rabbi and the priest and the imam, I'm sure, would find lots of things to agree on, but they probably find a very large number of things to disagree on. And any one of those people can ask the policeman, who's quietly sitting in the corner, to actually arrest any of the other two, because... Um, an imam, by definition, will be offending the religious sens- sensibilities of the rabbi and the priest, and the rabbi will be offending the religious sensibilities of the priest and the imam, and the priest will be offending the sensibilities of, well, you know, you know how it goes. But the legislation provides for almost no distinction um, between religions. It's just this idea that anyone, if anyone is offended by or can then choose to use the law of the land, to use the policeman, hmm to enforce their views on anyone else. Um, I just find that situation fundamentally ridiculous. I mean... Dangerous. It's just... It's, there's been wars. I mean, just read a history book. Um, well, I, I don't know if, you, if this is relevant. It strikes me as relevant. I studied philosophy at uni, mm. right? And um, what we're talking about here are the the basic concepts of a liberal and an illiberal regime. And that's where the harm principle comes in. And the harm principle goes like this. Um, uh, There are offensive harms and injurious harms. So an an offensive harm is a harm... That is, oh, you, you've offended my sensibility. So you've said something about my religion that offends me. So that's an offensive harm. And then there is injurious harm, which you have punched me in the face and broken my jaw. That's injured me. Now, in a liberal regime, only injurious harms are illegal. Mm. Whereas in an illiberal regime, offensive and injurious harms are illegal. And that is, that is basic, basic philosophy. Mm-hmm. So, essentially, we are now living in an overtly illiberal regime. Well, it, it sets up a situation, I mean, the obvious thing in that situation with the rabbi and the Jew and the priest and the policeman is the policeman gets up and leaves the room because <laughs> it's not actually any of his business, um, which is the way it has been. That, that, that is the fundamental bit of the separation of religion and the state. The policeman gets up and leaves the room. Um, mm. I'm not arresting anyone. You guys can talk about what you want to talk about. These are things that are important to you. Mm. Me, I'm going to have a coffee and donuts over here. It's, it's not my business. I mean, I'm, 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 I'm making this a silly situation. But this legislation will mean that, for instance, a religious school can call the police and say, can you take this, this gay person off our property, please. And the police will go, why? Well, because they're gay. For no other reason. And the police will go, really? 
you sure this is what you want to do? I said, no, the law says I can, so I am. Mm. Um, and so the policeman then takes the gay person off the, off the other person's property because the state has legislated to protect the right of that religious school to get rid of gay people from its premises. Now, it could be a teacher, it could be a, it could be a child. Mm. Um, but, the, but this is a situation where the legislation provides for... I mean, I'm using the policeman as a metaphor, but mm. for, for us all then to take what it is that we are as a society, the power that we have collectively together, and use that against an individual who does not fit the religious tenets of a particular organisation of one form or another. Mm. Now, as Jean, Jean quite rightly said, there's only two churches that are interested in this. Mm. Mm. Um, there's a lot of religious institutions that go, we want nothing to do with this. Mm. We, don't want, we don't want policemen, quite frankly, on our premises, which, which I think is a reasonable thing for them to say because mm. a lot of religious organisations have you know, peculiar religious tenets, which I think, personally... Um, it's their business. Um, I'm not going to. I'm not going to arrest anyone for saying ridiculous things and from a church pulpit or, 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 or crying out for things that I just don't agree with, in, in 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 a religious context. I think that's perfectly reasonable for people to do in their own organisations, in their own home, in their semi-public spaces. Or, I find a church is an beautiful place where you're invited in, mm. but once you're in there. The rules of the religion um, are the rules of the religion, and I think to protect such things is is very very important. But I don't want that church to call in a cop up to the pulpit to get rid of the person who is is, is having a, some form of religious disagreement. I mm. think that's just not right. Well, it's like when the Russian feminist band Pussy Riot were jailed for two years for singing a song in the Russian Orthodox Church. Yeah, yeah that's right. Um, we don't live um, in those... Apparently we don't. Well, if this religion gets through, I mean, if, if, this, if this legislation gets through, then functionally there is no difference. Now, traditionally, Australia mm. is a liberal society, but I think those traditions are changing. Mm. It's, a, it's a, always been an ongoing problem for a liberal democracy. How does a liberal democracy, which wants to be tolerant, deal with the intolerant? Mm. And this is why the dogs um, are, have, have always taken a firm line on the separation of religion from the state. And for that reason, we are against state aid to private schools. It has caused so much trouble in our society already. Mm. Now, with this latest um, exercise in the state becoming entangled with a number of churches, we are looking at a downward slide into intolerance. And we find this a very sad situation indeed. And not everybody wants it. You're quite right. Uh, the Attorney General said this will be of benefit to groups like the St Vincent Appeal Society and they said no, St Vinnie said no, this is the one thing we do not want. Our volunteers come from all walks of life, all kinds of religion. We don't want to discriminate against anyone. We want to include everyone because our job is in fact to help the poor. Um, and they certainly include everyone from all walks of life. So um, 
Uh, I thought that was very interesting indeed. And the one group, of course, that's completely ignored is the largest group that's growing in Australia, which is the non-religious, the uh, people who have no religion at all. There's a question as to whether or not that is a belief system. But um, uh, Well, I can tell you right now, as um, someone from that community, <laughs> um, I do not want my um, views to be privileged. I do not want my views of non-belief to be privileged in any sense by the state, and I think it's important that they that they should not be. I'm quite I should be free to speak my mind, mm. um, uh, but only if that is, as you would say, um, a, an offence of, of of the mind rather than of the body. I'm, I'm not going to call for anything, mm. as indeed um, many people without any formal religion. Um, that they profess alike. Mm. But I certainly don't want my position to be privileged. I don't want any tax benefits from it. Mm. Um, I don't want to have that. I don't want to have my views actually discussed by anyone, uh, not by the Federal Minister, and I certainly don't want my views legislated. Uh, Let's go back to the first Elizabeth. Um, she had lived a life in fear of losing her head and when she finally became queen she quoted the Bible but then she said I do not wish to put a window into anybody's soul and that is in fact what is now happening let's keep our souls free from the state Mm, that's my uh, Christian position. Oh, yes, quite right too. And it's a, it's a position, it's not just a Christian position, mm. but it's a position that goes across all religions, mm. all religions that have any sense of history, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, interesting discussion. We'll be back with some more practical um, news on what's going on in Australian education after these messages. This is Zoya, Tuesday Breakfast's newest host. If, like me, you missed out on summer school last year, don't fret, class is back in session. Last year, we unpacked the ideas and language around all the concepts that we touch on in our shows. Our aim was to make sure that knowledge doesn't just sit in a university, but is for everyone. This summer, we're doing the same. You've gone through your foundation course, now it's time to graduate to your second year. Join us as we learn from experts, academics, activists and people with lived experience and explore how the theories from last year can be, and are, put into action. Tuesday mornings from 7am, starting mid-January, 855am or via 3cr.org.au. And check out our Instagram, 3CR Tuesday Breakfast, for more details. Get your copy of 3CR's magnificent book. It's a stunning history of the people, programs and issues at this station since 1976. On sale now for the amazing price of just $20. Pick one up at the station or jump online and place your order. Radical Radio, celebrating 40 years of 3CR. On sale now for $20. Welcome back to the Dogs Program. Uh, we are the defenders of government schools and we try to stay across the various issues into 2020. Um, that legislation, the Freedom of Religious Legislation, we will be following up in this year when it might get up in the Federal Parliament. I certainly hope not. We'll certainly be fighting it. But back down to basics. Australian children in the year 2020 are a year less well educated than they were in the year 2000. We are de-civilising our country. Um, bushfires or no bushfires, um, our future population are less well educated uh, quantitatively, uh, quantitatively less well educated than they were. 
And so this has proved to panic amongst various people in the educational circles, and there has been the usual, to my mind, mindless and stupid um, call for back to basics. Back to basics is, well, you know, if you're going to get kids to read and write and, and, and do stuff proper, then they'll be better off in the year 2020. As, in fact, some very smart people have come up with a sort of an argument that suggests that getting back to the basics is, in fact, part of the problem when it comes to education in Australia. And to let you know more about this, I shall throw to the words of Andrew and Piccoli, um, shared with us here on the program by Dale. Dale, can you let us know more? Thanks, Robert. Yes, the article I've got here is by Adrian Piccoli and Richard Holden, who is a professor of business at uh, University of New South Wales. Um, yeah, it's an, it was in the age, it's entitled Back to Basics is Not Our Education Cure, It's Where We've Gone Wrong. A, bas- a Back to Basics response to the latest PISA results is wrong and ignores the other data Australia has spent more than 10 years obsessing about, NAPLAN. The National Assessment Program, Literacy and Numeracy, is all about going back to basics, but it is such a narrow response that it risks making the global standing of Australian school students in future PISA results even worse, not better. If anything, available data since since 2008 from NAPLAN suggests that most students' understanding of the basics has improved. However, as shown by PISA, the Program for International Student Assessment, they struggle to apply basic concepts to related problems that they haven't specifically practised. A further indication that a back-to-basics response is mistakenly narrow is the fact that high-performing students who are showing a decline in Australia in PISA don't, by definition, have trouble with the basics. To understand this difference, it is first important It is firstly important to understand what PISA is testing. As the Chief Executive of the Australian Council for for Educational Research, Jeff Masters, has pointed out, PISA does not assess students' abilities to recall facts or basic literacy and numeracy skills. Instead, it assesses the ability to transfer and apply learning to new situations and unseen problems. This requires an understanding of fundamental concepts and principles, as well as the ability to think. NAPLAN, by contrast, does does test basic literacy and numeracy. However, unlike our declining PISA performance, there has been no downward slide in NAPLAN results. If anything, the Year 3 NAPLAN cohort from 2013 did better than their counterparts from five years earlier. Whatever the reason for the decline in PISA results, it is not mirrored by a corresponding decline in NAPLAN scores for the same cohorts of students. So what's going on? One explanation is that for 10 years, Australia has focused on basic skills through the obsession with NAPLAN and that this has come at the expense of teaching more practical applied skills and problem solving. No one should really be surprised by this disconnect between basic skills abilities measured by NAPLAN results and the broader high order skills tested by PISA. The warning about the way NAPLAN narrows the curriculum and the adverse effects of teaching to the test began when NAPLAN and the MySchool website were first floated as an idea. 
NAPLAN and the narrow range of knowledge and skills it tests is what gets noticed in Australia. So it's what gets done. There can be no dispute that students need to master basic literacy and numeracy skills and that we could do better at the basics. Without those skills, they have no foundation for more advanced learning. For 10 years, NAPLAN has done exactly what basic economics tells us it will do. Create high-powered incentives for schools to make sure students are equipped to do well in NAPLAN tests. The MySchool website makes school-level NAPLAN results readily available and highly salient. Principals and teachers naturally respond to those incentives for fear of losing good students to other schools and to satisfy the demand of education regulators and parents. Furthermore, governments measure their own performance in education based on NAPLAN results and look for every possible policy option to improve those results. Taken together, the competing trends in NAPLAN and PISA results suggest we need to better transition students from basic skills development into higher order conceptual skills and put the necessary curriculum and resources behind that transition. One option to consider as part of the current view of NAPLAN is to continue the literacy and numeracy sample-based basic skills test in years three and five and move to more complex problem-solving PISA-style sample-based tests in years seven and nine. We set the bar too low for ourselves if the main policy response to PISA is back to basics. Australia needs to be more aspirational than to simply measure our system on how well our children read and write. We absolutely have to expect that as a baseline. If we want to focus on those higher level applied skills that students really need when they leave school, then the curriculum and the testing regimes that surround it need to focus on those skills. In an increasingly globalised and automated world, problem-solving ability is the scarce skill. It is the skill that will generate the long-run productivity growth required to maintain high standards of living. The good news for Australia is that we don't need to make, choice, make a choice between basic skills and higher order skills. We are more than smart enough to have both. Thank you very much, Dale. You listen to the Dogs Program on 3CR 855 on the AM Dale podcast on the WWWs. Um, fascinating, isn't it? Mm. Um, the comments on that article were very interesting indeed. There was one that really stuck out to me. It was a maths teacher who'd had such a wonderful time uh, in the old days teaching uh, her students not just the basics but actually how to solve problems uh, with a curriculum that she was very happy with and she was very saddened by the, the uh, current thinking that was back to basics uh, because she felt that the problem-solving skills were, in fact, what was really needed. Mm. Uh, Piccoli is also an interesting gentleman. Uh, he was the Minister for Education in New South Wales that was adamant that uh, more disadvantaged funding was needed, and he was very pro-public education, even though he himself was a committed Catholic and a member of the country party. Uh, very interesting gentleman indeed. He... He's now gone to the University of New South Wales and is working in the Gonski Institute there, 
where they do quite a lot of very interesting research. Interesting guy. Yes, thank you very much, Jane. Um, we're going to continue with more of the Dogs program after a little bit of music. are selling kefir Palestinian scarves in support of the last factory that produces them in Hebron, Palestine. All profits will be donated to the reconstruction efforts in Gaza and support Palestinian industry. These are traditional scarves available in red and black or you can choose from a modern design. Go to 3cr.org.au slash shop to buy online or drop into the station during business hours. is giving our prolific programmers a well-earned break. Check out the Summer Grid at 3cr.org.au forward slash summer specials. Welcome back to the Dogs Program. We'll be talking about back to the basics and education in, um, in Australia. Um, I, I know Adrian Piccoli is a very well-researched and thoughtful person. I, I have a far more brutal view on this. Um, I think it's all just a load of rubbish. And everyone in Australia knows it's a load of rubbish. Um, and I'll tell you why everyone in Australia knows it's a load of rubbish. Let's just, let's just imagine we've got a school. And in this school, they have all these things that have got nothing to do with reading and writing and literacy and numeracy. In this school, they've got things like squash courts and they've got swimming pools and they've got... Uh, wellness programs. Wellness programs yes. and they've got um, equestrian centres. 
and they've got um, all sorts of amazing... Oh, oh, and they've got a concert hall, and they've got 25 music practice rooms. And they've got a the library that's like a castle, built like a medieval castle, yes. And they've got technology coming out of their ears. It's nothing to do with reading and writing and counting. Nothing to do with the basics. You think a school like that, the, the, the parents of Australia, I'm not sending my child to a school like that. What? You're going to ask me to pay $35,000 a year to, to send my child to a school like that? You're not even doing the basics. You're doing horse riding. You're sending the children off to Europe on excursions for two weeks during their holidays. You're, you're, you're teaching them to ride horses and play violin. This is, this is not reading and writing and learning how to count good. This is a waste of... I'm not sending my child to that school. Um, it's the promoters that, of these schools, though, that are, in fact, um, promoting the basics, back-to-basics for children in public schools. No, I find it very interesting yeah, indeed. Yeah, exactly. What they're saying is, oh, no, back-to-basics for the poor people. Yeah. Distraction. Yeah, yeah just, 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 just make sure that they, you know, they, they can do things they need to do to do the jobs that I'll employ them for because I'm going to go up to be the person who creates employment in a trickle-down economic blah, blah, blah. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm combining a lot of ideas there, I have to say, and you can argue with me on any one of them. But quite frankly, I can tell you the Australian population are not fooled by any of this. If you've got a school with a good concert hall, a wonderful sports program, and a, and a, and a school musical, the envy of um, the, the Melbourne Concert Hall. <laughs> in fact, they, often they have their school musicals in the Melbourne Concert Hall because it's the only thing that can can service the needs of the schools. Um, if you've got stuff like that, then, um, yeah, no, it's not about back to basics, is it, really? Because Australia has a situation where we have winners and losers. I'm referring or about to refer from an article, article by Jordan Baker because Australia in the last 20 years, and we are in 2020, the education gulf is widening with a number of high-achieving students increasingly concentrated in advantaged schools full of lots of distractions. And this, of course, is at the expense of disadvantaged schools. And this is a trend that is increasing in Australia and one that must be fought. Now, it's, it's all really simple, you know, which is why I say this whole thing about back to basics is just a ruse, it's rubbish. Aspirational parents are driving the shift as they trade up to schools with, and educational institutions which have students like their own who are also equally advantaged and aspirational. Now, a paper for the Centre for Policy Development found HSC high achievers were increasingly clustered in the top-end schools, and this is actually a clustering that's increasing over the last 10 years. So social mobility is is, um, is Social mobility is what baby boomers romance about. It's not, it's not actually a reality for children these days. It's not actually a reality for children 20 years ago. It's non-existent. It's just non-existent. It was an idea. It was never... Oh, no. There was a time, there was a time when certain people could with, with without the right family. And, 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 you know, I mean, I'm sure we can put up a, an article in the Herald Sun because the exception proves the rule. Sure. We could do that today, you know. <laughs> poor kid may good. I always, I always think it's fascinating because we've just come through, you know, VCE season. And in VCE season, if you get a, a number of kids that do well, they're either expressed in terms of the school having done well, which is the way it is for private schools, which is a marketing thing. Oh, no, we produced all these wonderful children who are VCE winners. But if it's a state school kid, it's all about that plucky kid fighting against a disadvantage. In spite. And in spite of the school they went to. Not because of it. And that is the reality in Australia that we here at the Dogs fight against. But 
I am now going to finish the program in a way I always like to try to, which is good news. And I'm going to talk to you about a great state school. Every week on the Doctor Program we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. State schools are great schools. School of the week. State school. School of the week. Great state schools. State schools. School of the week. School for the week here on the Dogs Program. The great state school. What, what, actually, what defines greatness? It's a question, isn't it? What is great about this state school? Well, it takes the kids that it has, has and gives them the best education that they can give them, given the situation that you find yourself in. Now, we live in a very big country, and I said this again and again, there is no typical state school. Is the typical state school the place with 2,000 kids doing the best it can in, 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 a, in a poor socioeconomic area as a high school? Is the, is, is, is the typical state school a school out in the bush somewhere? Um, with like 12 kids um, and, a, and a teacher doing the best they can. Because um, they're both typical Australian schools. In fact, there's both, which means there is none. Um, I'm going to be talking about a school with 12 kids and a teacher. And three other people that turn up for a day a week to help out, teachers' assistants. And it's a little place called Clifton Creek. And it's a little primary school. It's just burnt down, darling. I know. Just burnt down a couple of days ago. And it's going to come back, no question. Because the state school, state school as a great school, is something that is essential to the community. I didn't say it's always happy. Um, and Clifton Creek Primary School, um, you can't go to school um, at the moment because it's not there. During the school holidays, it burnt down. Burnt down out there in Gippsland. And there's a great sadness to that. But I'm going to put money. I'm going to put money on the fact that by the time school comes back, there'll be a teacher and 12 kids doing something great. They're not going to be doing it in a building. <laughs> they might not even be doing it on that site. But it's not the building that defines the school. It's that teacher and those kids. I want to say that teacher. I mean that teacher and those eight boys and those four girls. A third of whom are Indigenous. They'll be coming together and they're going to be a great state school in 2020. As I say, they might not be there in the same building because, quite frankly, this, this school's amazing. Um, this school does what it does. And, quite frankly, the um, figures in terms of money um, aren't available, but I'll tell you it will be between fifteen and $18,000 per year per kid because you add all that and you get the price of a teacher. And I suppose the good news is you, you, you don't have to pay um, you don't have to pay the water on it anymore because the building's not there, and you don't have to pay the power bill because guess what the building's not there. But it's going to be mm. that community out at Clifton Creek are going to do something, and they're going to sort themselves out for that teacher in those schools, because that's what a state school is. Because mm. if someone comes back to that area, they're going to expect a school to be there for their kids. Mm. Those kids aren't there now; they've been evacuated. They might be in Sale. They might be in Bairnsdale. They might have even come to Melbourne to be with relatives for the holidays. Might have even gone somewhere else. That's good. But when they come back, a great state school will be there. Because in the fires that are 
some would say inevitably and some would say tragically, and I would say both, um, blighting our land at the moment. Some schools have burnt, and one of them is Clifton Creek. And I don't think that makes it any less great just because it's not there. Because the school itself is those 12 kids and that one teacher. Now, I can tell you that there's rich kid, there's a rich kid that goes to this school, and there's really poor kids that go to this school, and there's some kids from in the middle that go to this school, but they're locals from out there. Because there's 12 kids, I'm not going to give you the percentages because then, you know, if you're local, you go, oh, I didn't know you were that rich. <laughs> but the ICSI value is, is, is under a 1,000, okay. which is to say there's, you know, below, below the Australian average. And when it comes to those dreaded NAPLAN tests we're talking about, the kids do all right. They don't do it in grade three. They sort of decided to, the school decided to miss, miss the test on that day. They were doing something else. Those 12 kids, they went out and, I don't know, had a bit of a play in the bush before, well, when it was still there. Yeah. Uh, well, they didn't do the testing in grade three at all, which is nice, but they did it in grade five and the kids did well. Quite frankly, they don't care. <laughs> because this is a great state school. It doesn't educate thousands in the west of Melbourne. It doesn't do any of that. It's just 12 kids, even without a building these days. Yeah, it really puts paid to that myth of needing these grand auditoriums and, you know, all of these, all of these resources when, you know, a school does boil down to, to the community. That's right. And if, like, a new kid turns up and they discover there's no school building there and they want to go, there'll be 13 perhaps. And that's okay. School's still there. There's a teacher. There's some kids. They work themselves out because they're incredible organisations, state schools. Because mm. state schools are great schools. And our great state school for this week is Clifton Creek Primary School up there in Clifton Creek, Victoria. And I know, as Jean said, but it's not there anymore. It's burnt out. No, it's still there. It's still there. Don't you worry. Come the new year. 2020, the time of new beginnings for great state schools. Want to defend government schools? We are the DOGS, D-O-G-S, Defenders of Government Schools. Every week on the DOGS program we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. If you're a parent or if you're a kid or if you're involved in the school in any way whatsoever and you love your state school, give 3CR a call. We want to hear about these schools that we're defending. Brunswick Secondary State schools are great. Harkaway Primary School. Sunshine North Primary School. They're really concerned about the welfare of the kids and their growth as people as well as learning. Like you put on plays, you've got enrichment, you've got physical education, visual arts, languages, all that. In fact, is there a cooking? Actually, an embracing of kids from disadvantaged backgrounds and with additional needs. More than half of your kids are from some of the poorest families in Australia. Yeah, definitely. That's the community and that's who we're servicing and that's that's who we welcome into the school. Outdoor play is linked to healthier and happier children. This, in turn, leads to better grades. In the weekly assemblies and stuff, they have a little thing, uh, you've been caught being good, and they have a a value of the week each week, and so it's not just words, it is actually... So so what do the teachers do when it's a building site? Yeah, they kick themselves out of their own staff room and turn it into a classroom. Just a really nice culture and an emphasis on social skill building as well as learning. Quite a range of intellectual ability and kids with mental health diagnoses. Refugee kids, kids who have not been in the country very long, don't necessarily start off with a Positive great relationships with each other, with teachers and with the community. And they run a, a breakfast club. There's a recognition that some kids don't get breakfast and so there's, there's food on. If you are involved in a state school and it's a great school, we'd love to hear from you so we can talk about it and tell the world. Leave a message for the dogs at 3CR on 9419 State schools are great schools. Great state schools.
We've had a very varied program today on the dogs, uh, but it's been great to start 2020 with some really meaty issues from a great state school out there in the bushfire zones to Jean's famous press release. I think it's fascinating what's going to happen in the United States with the new Supreme Court and its conservative judges that have been appointed. Will separation of church and state, will separation of religion and the state be a bridge too far for America going forward or will they maintain the defences? and maintain that separation in other states because here in Australia, if we get that stupid legislation up, we're going to be in big trouble because I don't want to be in a room when all those religious people start shouting at each other and calling the cops. I just don't think that's what we want, quite frankly. Um, but we've also talked about practical issues. We've talked about, obviously, great state schools, but we've also talked about issues in terms of choice and we've talked in issues in terms of the way the tests are being run in Australia. And um, if you're out there, um, who's the Federal Minister? That's Tian, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Mr Tian, yeah, if you're listening, yeah, stop it. <laughs> stop it. Can you stop funding those private schools and give all the money to state schools? They're much better at what they do. Um, and, yeah, it'll solve a lot of problems and save a fair bit of money. And if you don't think I'm right, keep listening to the dogs' programs in the week to come and we'll explain exactly why I'm right and why you should do exactly what I say. <laughs> But if you are interested in the DOGS program, you can catch up with us every week on our website, www.adogs.info, or indeed on the 3CR website, 3cr.org.au. Or as you just heard, uh, you can call 94198377. But until then, it's bye for now.
but Joe, you're ten years dead. I never. 